All right, well, hey, stay standing for uh, the reading of God's Word this morning. If you have your Bible, it's going to be in the book of John. All right, we're going to be in verse 4, John chapter 16, verse 4. And I'm going to read all the way through uh, verse 15. And these uh, are Jesus' words. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and for, and for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has, has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So we have been, um, this is week three of a series that we're calling Sinned, and we're looking at the church, and particularly the Parks Church, and the idea of the sent nature of God's people, the church, the community of faith. And so the, week one, we looked at this idea of God's people being sent people. The first place we stopped down and looked at is that God sends his people to one another, that when he redeems us, he doesn't place us on an island, but he puts us in a family, a family known as the church. And Jesus in John chapter 13 says, one of the distinguishing hallmarks of your life that the watching world will know that you're my disciples is by your love for one another. And so we talked about how we as sent people are sent to one another and all the, the one another's that we see in the New Testament, right? We, we didn't walk through all of those. That would take us uh, forever. But we, we, we talked about those and the heart behind those. And then week two, uh, last week, we looked at how God in sending his people doesn't just send us to be a ho have a holy huddle or just into the family or to be so inwardly focused that we lose sight of the Great Commission and what he's called us to do as well in being witnesses to a watching world. So we are also sent to those who don't know Jesus, those who haven't put their faith and trust in Jesus, those who haven't heard the good news of the gospel that Romans 10 says that we are sent out with. And uh, I, I've, I've loved the conversations we've had around the series. Those of you who have reached out to me or we've had, had these little conversations, but some of you have reached out and, and, and it almost cues up week three so well um, because it's like, I just feel like it's, Kyle, it's, it's, so, it's so difficult, right? Right, like where, where, where is it in here that Jesus says, this is gonna be, you know, this is gonna be easy and you're gonna be able to love each other really, really, really well because relationships in the church aren't messy, you know, we're all laughing, right? Because we're part of the church and we know that that's true. Like people do what? They, they disappoint us. Our lives, my life, your life, there's complexities, there's nuance, there's messiness. If we're loving each other well, if we're, we're, in, we're truly in community with one another, guess what? We're gonna brush up against and be exposed to that messiness. And that John 13, right? Love one another 
is going to be difficult. It's going to take work, and it's sometimes going to feel what? Impossible. And then, Kyle, week two, you talked about sharing our faith, and I said this last week. There's not many things in our Christian faith that give us hot sweats like sharing our faith publicly, right? And, and, and some of you going like, I just, I, I, I struggle with this. I, I struggle in that area. I struggle how to do it. I struggle the ways in which I should do it. I struggle with where I, I should do that or share my faith. And, and, and I got to be honest with you. Um, I, I think the Lord is queuing us up for week three, this week. You see, Jesus' disciples in John 16, one of my favorite runs in all of Scripture, right? I love all of Scripture, you know that. But one of my favorite runs are John 14 all the way to the end of John 21. It's like my favorite run. But Jesus, in John 14, explicitly tells his disciples he's going away. Now, he has told them this before, and they're like, no, come on, man. No, you're not. No, no, no. He goes, no, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. And in John 14, he also tells them, he says, listen, I want you to obey every command I've given you. (laughs) So two things freak out his disciples, right, in John 14. First, Jesus going, I'm no longer going to be with you, but I'm sending you out. And the second thing is this, like, hey, if you really love me, you'll obey all the commands I've given you. And so they're like, what? Like, you've been with us for three years, Jesus. You know the impossibility of that one, right? And so we come again to John chapter 16 this morning, and keep your Bibles open. We're just going to walk through that that passage of Scripture where Jesus is continuing the conversation that he began really in John chapter 14 by introducing them to him leaving, but there's going to be a helper. And that's a weak word in our English vernacular, helper. It's a capital H helper in our Bible. It's actually in John chapter 16 as well. That word is the Greek word parakletos. It is the word advocate. It's the one who comes beside or alongside. It's meant to be this meaty, dense word that he is describing God the Holy Spirit to be. So he's going, disciples, yes, I am leaving you, but I'm not leaving you. I'm leaving you physically, but I'm leaving with you the helper, God the Holy Spirit. And so the same thing is true for us as disciples who are called to be sent people. We can get this overwhelming feeling. We can get almost like these, these eyes, these eyes wide open going, that is impossible. It's impossible to love each other the way Jesus calls us to love. It's impossible to reach the watching world and, and live a compelling witness. And you're right, it is impossible, except for the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's the question I laid before you last week. How will we, as the Parks Church, make the real Jesus known and unignorable in the culture and world around us? How will we, as a community of faith, the Parks Church, make the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, known and unignorable in the culture and world around us? And I want to submit to you this morning, apart from the Holy Spirit, it is impossible. Apart from the Holy Spirit working and moving in our lives individually and corporately, it is impossible Zechariah in the Old Testament, because when we think of the the Holy Spirit, oftentimes we're only living uh, in the New Testament. To some extent, I I understand that, but the Spirit is spoken about in the Old Testament as well. Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, in chapter 4, verse 6, you give us that verse. He said, then he said to me, the prophet, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by, by power, but how? By my spirit, says the Lord. How is anything going to be accomplished in this world for God's glory? Not by earthly might, 
not by earthly power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Okay, now fast forward to your New Testament, right? The book of Acts. When we think of the Holy Spirit, we we tend to think of the book of Acts, which is awesome, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit comes, what does Jesus say to his disciples? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my sent ones. The the Greek word there for witnesses, you want to know what the Greek word there? And listen, I'm not just being like, you want to know the Greek here? It's important so that you understand the, the verse, okay? All right, not just going, oh, he's got a seminary degree. I don't care about that. What I care about is the word of God and us understanding it. The word there for witnesses is the same word we get the word martyr. Martyr, you will be my martyrs. You'll be the ones who literally lay down your life for my mission, for my cause, for my glory. Martyrios. But wait a minute, Jesus says you'll receive power. Zechariah just said, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit. So here's where you see two differing views of power, earthly, worldly, fleshly, and then God's power. God's power is displayed in and through the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus is giving his disciples when they find themselves in that wide-eyed moment of despair going, you're leaving us? You're leaving us? And Jesus goes, yes, I am leaving you. But here's what I'm doing. I'm sending, right? This is not just about us sending, but about God sending. I'm sending you, God, the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's start here. Um, so maybe I need to caveat my uh, statement about uh, the thing that gives us hot sweats most in the church being personal evangelism. Maybe the second thing or first thing that gives us hot sweats is when somebody says, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit, right? For some of you. Just, just out of curiosity, how, how many of you come from a Baptist, Episcopalian, Presbyterian background, right? Maybe Bible church, all right. Awesome, see, you're halfway there to being a charismatic. Um, uh, how many of you come from, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Uh, how many of you come from more of a charismatic background, all right? Okay, few, few. I'm gonna disappoint y'all. Okay, so can I just? I, I'm probably gonna disappoint point y'all because we're we're probably not gonna go far enough for you. But for those of you maybe who raised their hand up front, saying, "Hey, I come from more of this background," I want you to know this: we believe here at the Park Church in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We believe that all of the gifts are for today. They have not ceased, they have not stopped, and they continue on today. And that we need those gifts in operation and in full biblical beauty operating within the body of Christ. And so that's, that's what we believe. So I, I want to be upfront with that. But let's start uh, with this. Uh, who is the Holy Spirit? Question number one, who is the Holy Spirit? Right, great place to start, okay? Um, let me tell you this, uh, just in John 16, he says this. He says in verse five, but now I am going to him who sent me. Jesus saying, I am going to him, meaning God the Father. Jesus is going to God the Father who sent me. And Jesus then later in John 16 goes, and I am sending to you the Holy Spirit. So God the Father sends Jesus. Jesus says what? He is sending the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not an it. It is not a ghost. It is not some mythical creature. It is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God, right? And by the way, when we say the third person of the Trinity, uh, we don't mean like in a ranking or in a hierarchy, okay? We simply mean that he is the third person of our one triune God. 
He was there in the beginning. The Holy Spirit was there in the beginning. He was not created later on. And there are some theologies, there are some um, quote-unquote Christian faiths that would tell you that he was created at some point. Read your Bible, look at the very opening page of your scripture in Genesis. See who is hovering over the water, bringing order to chaos. That is one of the things the Holy Spirit does. He brings order from, from chaos. And everyone who, our Bible tells us this, everyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior has been given God the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a Christian without God the Holy Spirit. It's like faith. You can't be a follower of Jesus without faith. There is no such thing as a faithless Christian. There is no such thing as a spiritless Christian. And so at the moment of salvation, I want to be clear that all of the person and work of the Holy Spirit is in you. You didn't get 50% by God, uh, of God the Holy Spirit as a deposit, and then you'll get the other 50% when you really, really are good, or maybe when you're special, right? Those elite forces of, of Christians, right? You'll get the other 50%. No, in you, at the point of justification, you receive all of God the Holy Spirit in you. How good of news is that, right? However, what our Bible does teach in its pages is that there is a constant and continual filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we either seek or neglect. And what I long for this church is to be a church that's seeking the power, seeking the person and work of the Holy Spirit more fervently when we do. If we have any shot at loving each other like John 13 tells us to, right, and doing all the one another commands in the New Testament, right, it's going to be impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. If we have any shot of being a compelling witness to a watching world, it's going to be impossible apart from the Holy Spirit moving in and through our lives. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. He's God. And maybe this point for some of you is like a throwaway point. Like, no duh, like, I, I knew this already. But I want to make the argument that the issue is not knowing these points. The issue is in practice. It's in function. Do you functionally, do you in practice in your life, treat God the Holy Spirit kind of like the crazy step-uncle of the Trinity, right? Like, we, we know he's there, we know he's part of the fam, but like, I, I don't really know what to do with him. Or maybe you have been guilty of, of being someone who has said this, that we believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, right? We believe in the gifts. We believe in all those things being alive today. But, but we kind of, um, we're good with the Holy Spirit um, as long as there's like a seat belt. You, ever, you know, you, that phrase was kind of popular for a while, like charismatic with a seat belt, right? I mean, that's the first time you'd heard that. No? Oh, that's a, wow. Well, there was this phrase many years ago um, that people say, we're, we're good with it. Like, we want the Holy Spirit, we want the fullness of the Holy Spirit just with a seatbelt. Um, and I began to think about that. I was like, think if you talked about any other person of the Trinity like that. We're good with God the Father just with a seatbelt. We're good with the salvation and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. We're good with his death and resurrection with restraint. And again, I understand the heart behind the statement. The heart behind the statement was responding to something. It was responding to out of control. It was responding to uh, charismania and those things. And I think and I believe what they meant by it was the seatbelt or the restraint was the word of God. And so if that is what they mean by it, yes and amen, right? Like the Holy Spirit and how he moves and how he, how he operates should be tethered to the very word he inspired, right? Not out of order. But let's not talk about him with a seatbelt. Because if we're truly open, if we're truly desiring the Holy Spirit, he might do some things in our lives and in our church 
that are reliable and consistent with the word of God, but not predictable. Are you open to that? Are you willing and living by faith, going, Lord, apart from your spirit moving, this is impossible. So move among us. You see, uh, John chapter 20, this is after Jesus' resurrection. And this was another verse that was really compelling for me in this series. Um, Jesus is speaking to his disciples after his resurrection. And he says to this, to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Like after his resurrection, he looks at his disciples, he goes, I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Get out of here. Go on. Shoo, shoo. Right? You went to three years of the best seminary. Go on. No, he says, do what? Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. And now, now at this point, they're going to have to wait. They're going to have to pray. They're going to have to be seeking. The Holy Spirit has not come per Acts 2 at this moment. But he has given them the directive of how he is sending them. Receive the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's get back into John chapter 16. So the Holy Spirit is God. As God the Father sent Jesus, Jesus is sending the Spirit to be with his disciples and also to be with us, in and through us, to fill us, right? And Jesus says these things to a disappointed group of disciples in verse 7. Look at this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, because that's all Jesus knows how to speak, is the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. Like, when is it ever to anyone's advantage that Jesus leaves the scene? Right? Like, you don't see that one on a billboard, right? It's better for you that I leave, dash Jesus, right? Like, it's kind of confusing, right? Like, why would he tell his disciples, it's better that I leave? Because I bet his disciples are like, we beg to differ. Stay with us. Because Jesus has in his sight, in his mind, because he's God also, what his leaving means. If Jesus does not leave his disciples physically, let me tell you, the work of the cross, the finished work of the cross, and the victory of the resurrection has not occurred. So he's looking at his disciples as he would look at us this morning and go, listen, it's to your advantage because the finished work, John 19, 30, the finished work of the cross is not complete until I hang upon it, until I'm buried in the tomb, and I resurrect over sin, death, hell, and the grave. So let me tell you, it's to your advantage that I leave you. So what God has sent me to do, Jesus says, I am finishing that work here on earth. So I must leave because then that in my leaving, it inaugurates the continuation of my work in and through you, through the power of who? The Holy Spirit. You're getting it. Through the power of your Holy Spirit. So that's why Jesus would go, it's to your advantage that I leave you. It's to your advantage that I go. And to be honest, from the beginning pages of scripture all the way to the end, the great hope of the gospel is that God himself would reside in our hearts. Back to the Old Testament, talking about the spirit. Ezekiel 36, 27 says this, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Here's what the God of the universe says in days past in the Old Testament through these prophets, here is my heart for you that my spirit would dwell within you. And cause you to live a certain way. In the boundaries. In the pleasant places that I have for you. So let me make no mistake about it this morning. The Holy Spirit empowers disciples to love Jesus deeply. 
and live for Jesus compellingly. The Holy Spirit, let me say this again, God the Holy Spirit empowers disciples, those in this room and those 11 back there that he was talking to. He empowers disciples to live and love Jesus, to love him deeply, and to live for him compellingly. Okay, what does this look like? Well, Jesus actually tells us in John chapter 16. He says, nevertheless, I'm, I'm going away. It's for your benefit. And they're probably going, I'm not sure about that. And so now what Jesus is going to launch into in John chapter 16 is describing the Holy Spirit, right? And again, there are a lot of places in Scripture we could go, but I love going to Jesus' teaching on God the Holy Spirit. He says, but, if I will, but I will go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. There it is. The empowering Holy Spirit does what? First thing that Jesus says here in John chapter 16 is that he convicts. He will convict. Now, there is an immediate context here where he's talking about the world. There, there is a conviction that will happen because they're going to hang him on a tree and they're going to bury him in the grave. Like, there's a conviction of sin that will happen in that immediate context. But as we see the Holy Spirit being explained and revealed later on through the pages of Scripture, this conviction of sin is his constant and continual work in the world, in the watching world, but also in the life of a disciple, also in your life and in my life. He convicts us and draws us toward obedience, that with the Holy Spirit, we begin to order our lives in alignment with God's character and desires for our flourishing. Apart from God, the Holy Spirit, that cannot happen. This becomes very clinical. This becomes very mechanical. But what the Holy Spirit does is it illuminates Jesus' law, his statutes, his way, and goes, this is the best way. If you want to know what flourishing looks like, we yield to the Holy Spirit's conviction in our lives because it aligns us, or the word we've been using in the series, it reorients us to the heart and character of who God is. Some of you have been trying to orient or reorient your life in your own power, in your own might, in your own logic, in your own intellect, and the Holy Spirit's over here going, listen to me. I'll help you. I'm the capital H helper. I'll show you the way. I'll show you the areas. See, God gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us to follow him and order our lives in obedience to him. What a gift. What a beautiful gift God has given us. Titus 3. Um, I love Titus 3, 3 through 7, all of that, but 4 through 7 says this. He says, I think we have it for you. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Listen, this is the constant and continual work of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, is that he's constantly making us new. You have been made new by the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, then you are being made new by the renewal of the Holy Spirit constantly and continually. That's why we seek him. That's why we're growing Holy Spirit. As we open the pages of scripture, would you speak to us in and through the word that you have written as we bow our heads in prayer, as we get together in community, we're going, Holy Spirit, how are you using this to shape and move my life? Now, I think we sell the Lord a little bit short when we think of conviction only in the sense of moving us away from sin. Conviction is also moving us toward godliness. 
It's also reshaping where our conviction lies and where our ethic and where our values really, really lie in our hearts. And yes, that's going to be away from sin and toward God. But I think with conviction, we're so narrow limited that we're just going, okay, what, what am I supposed to stay away from? No, what am I compelled to? To the riches of your mercy, to the beauty of your grace, to the just refreshing of your spirit in your presence. He's, he's convicting us more to that church. And let me tell you, when we begin to run toward those things, the other things have a way of falling, them, falling off. Second thing John points out here. So he convicts the world. Verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He knows the capacity of his disciples. Um, he says in verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So the empowering Holy Spirit convicts disciples. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit looks like conviction toward the things of God, away from the things that are not from God's heart. And then it also is guiding us or leading us to the truth. Another word for guide here, probably a better word, is the word teach. That the helper, God the Holy Spirit, the helper that Jesus is talking about, is the one who teaches us. Teaches us what? The truth. The truth about who? Jesus. The Holy Spirit does not simply make facts known about Jesus Christ. He literally impresses on the deepest places of our hearts the truth of who Jesus Christ is. So hear me. The empowering work of the Spirit in the life of a believer is to bring into our minds and our hearts the risen and living Savior. Truth in our culture is a moving target, is it not? But with Christianity, the truth claim that we are making is that there is an absolute truth. There is an assurance that we have that, that the Holy Spirit is leading us to capital T truth, and that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our culture defines truth in, in, in that way, and it's a moving target because it's defined by whatever feels good to you, whatever's right in the moment or whatever seems fair to you. I love what, uh, in their systematic theology, Millard Erickson writes, um, and I think it's spot on. It says, in a culture that stresses the experiential, we live in that kind of culture that stresses the experiential, it is primarily through the Holy Spirit's work that we feel God's presence within, and the Christian life is given a special tangibility. You hear me? That it's in and through God the Holy Spirit that we actually feel, feel, experience God's grace. And some of you are going, all right, you, you can't trust your feelings. Fair. Except when I ask you, explain to me how you were saved. Explain to me how you came to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You're going to describe the gospel, hopefully you're going to describe the good news of Jesus Christ, that it's through his life, putting your faith and trust in his life, his innocent death, his victorious resurrection. But at some point, here's what you're going to say. I felt a freedom. I felt new, like I was literally made new. All of this theory, all of this head knowledge permeated my life where there was this new experience in my life where I knew I was a new creation saved by grace through faith alone. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And what Erickson is saying here, and I believe it wholeheartedly is this, is this is one of the beautiful realities of God, the Holy Spirit, that it makes Christianity tangible, not just something clinical, not just something that we know the theories, we have the intellectual assent to it, but no, God the Holy Spirit presses the truth into our lives so that we experience God himself. 
And that's what Jesus is explaining to his disciples. It's better that I go away so that the helper might come. And you will know when the helper comes because you're going to experience him in a new, you're going to experience me. You're going to experience the love of God the Father in a new way. And so this guide will lead us into truth. He will order confusing things in our lives rightly. The things that you're, are confused in your life, the Holy Spirit has a way of guiding us and leading us to truth that will order things rightly. When you look at the lives of the disciples after Acts chapter 2, there was a truth so alive in them that nothing in this world could overcome it. Read your Bible. Read Acts, okay? You say, well, Kyle, that's, that's, that's descriptive and not prescriptive. Fine, but still read it. These are people full of the Holy Spirit. How about James chapter 1? Someone so full of the Holy Spirit where he would say something like this. How crazy this is. Count it as joy, brothers, when you face what? It's in tribulations of all kinds. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is creating in you a perseverance. The Holy Spirit is creating in you something that can only come in that way. Let me tell you, someone with that attitude is someone who is full of God the Holy Spirit. Or Paul going, right? Nobody's questioning whether Paul was full of the Holy Spirit or not. Where he goes, I count it all as joy, right? I count, I count it all as joy for the persecuted, for the things set before me. I count everything else as lost to know Christ. That's someone full of the Holy Spirit. You see, we live in a world that is constantly flexing all of its overcoming powers against us. And I, I don't mean that in like, yeah, they're against us. I mean that like that in a genuine way, right? All the anxieties and fears and people trying to find their own solutions and build their own future, searching for their own peace, John chapter 20. Yet the more we grasp for those things, we're finding ourselves being torn and torn apart. And what Jesus teaches us is this, you can't overcome the powers of the world with the powers of the world. You will never live a life deeply devoted to Jesus Christ or compelling as a witness apart from the power that Jesus promises in Acts chapter 1-8. The power of the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. In verse 14, as we land this, so the empowering Holy Spirit convicts, the Holy Spirit guides and lastly, and most importantly, here's the statement verse on the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That is that truth, but this is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, because glorifying Jesus is the primary role of the Holy Spirit, does not, don't make a mistake here to believe this is the sole role of the Holy Spirit. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate and make much of Jesus. And so what I'm sharing, what I'm asking, what I'm pleading and praying for us as a community of faith is this, that we need a fresh experience of the Holy Spirit that presses into each and every one of us the present reality of Jesus' death and resurrection, something that becomes so real to our hearts and this church that our suffering, that our disappointments, that our confusion, our despairs in this world, which are real, hear me, those are very real, somehow are transformed and emptied of their power and the glory and beauty of Jesus would fill us with the real peace that we need. Listen, sermons are great. Songs are great, but they are only good in as much as they awaken us to what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through our lives and in and through this community. What we don't need is more mental knowledge. What we, what we don't need is more notes in a notebook that we never look back at. What we need is a fresh movement, fresh experience with God, the Holy Spirit, because he's leading us, he's convicting us, he's guiding us, and he's pointing us to Jesus. 
This is John Stott going, listen, the Holy Spirit is a floodlight ministry illuminating Jesus. Listen, if we're going to say we're all about Jesus, let me tell you who we're also all about, God the Holy Spirit. Being real and moving in our lives, convicting us and shaping us and forming us. God, create in us a sensitivity to your leading. Create in us a sensitivity to your word where your spirit who authored this book that we love and cherish where we don't let a moment or a sermon go by where we're here, where we're not going, Holy Spirit, you're, you're, you're moving, you're speaking. Align my life that's, that's out of line. Guide us to truth. So how, how, how do disciples respond? Well, in this context, the disciples responded by waiting and asking and obeying. Waiting on the Holy Spirit to come, God the Holy Spirit. Asking, God, fill us. God, do what only you can do. This is why they were gathered in the upper room in a prayer meeting. Lord, Lord, Lord fill us. Lord, you said it's to our advantage. We believe you. We trust you. Lord, do what you want. You see, some of you, you when you think of the Holy Spirit, um, maybe your mind goes to, yeah, Kyle, but I want to talk about the gifts I want to talk about the, 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 maybe those spectacular gifts, those gifts that you were talking about that you, you, you were like, Kyle, they, they still continue on today. You think I, here, here's what I believe. I think that's jumping down the road a little bit far because we don't have a proper understanding or footing of who God the Holy Spirit is first in our lives. Who God the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to produce, Galatians 5. Let's not talk about gifts until we talk about the fruit of the Spirit that he wants to produce. Because there are plenty of people trying to work out these gifts of the Holy Spirit apart from having a demonstrable or identifiable fruit of the Spirit working in their lives. And to that I say, no thanks. Let's be a church so full of the Holy Spirit that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, right? All those things are flowing from us. And then let me tell you who's willing to accept gifts from that. Everyone. But if you're a jerk who's not patient, who's not loving, you're speaking in tongues, your prophecy. Paul tells the church in Corinth, what? It's like a what? Clanging gong. You know what a clanging gong is? It's annoying. That's the, that's the Kyle translation of that verse. It's annoying. But here's what Paul also says in 1 Corinthians. Desire the gifts. That's 1 Corinthians 14.1. Earnestly desire them. Do you? Do you seek the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, and go, Lord, fill me with whatever gifts you want. Lord, I, I, I want the gifts on, on display in my life. Why? So 1 Corinthians 12, 7 might be happening. That the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is then given so that it may serve the common good. Is that up there behind me? Yeah. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the what? Common good the good of the church, the edification of the church, and the edification of the watching world. God, the Holy Spirit. So, it's hard to land a, a sermon on the Holy Spirit. Just being honest with you. It's hard to end one. Like, okay, team, go break, go Holy Spirit. All right, do we build the car wash? I've seen it all. Um, we're not going to, by the way. Um, but I do think it starts with the sensitivity with a receptivity, with maybe some of you who have had your, your, your hearts and your hands clasped like, like this, to go, Lord, 
I want your fullness. I want all that you have for me. Lord, I want your Holy Spirit to be so alive in my life. I think of of, of Ephesians 5. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is your life so controlled by God, the Holy Spirit, that it's evident? It's clear how much you love Jesus. It's clear to the watching world who your life is oriented around. That's where it starts for me. That's where it starts for us as a church. Again, like I said, the the Holy Spirit is God, and so he is perfectly reliable. But he is not predictable. The way he may lead you is not how he might lead someone else. The gifts he gives you will not be what he gives everyone else in this church. But what he has called us all to as his disciples is to go, Lord, I want all you have for me so that my life might glorify Jesus. Holy Spirit, if that's what your purpose is, that's what my purpose is. In the gifts that you give me, in the demeanors and the wirings you have placed in me, I want my whole life to radiate Jesus. That's what it looks like for someone to be full of the Holy Spirit. And so we have communion down front and some of you are like, praise God, right? If you're new, we did this for many years and then switched to those terrible cups. Um, I believe that the Holy Spirit moves uniquely in these moments where we change, sometimes in the moments we least expect, where we change our physical postures. And he's gonna meet some of you as you walk down here to these tables and come back to your seats as you hold these elements in your hand of Christ's shed blood and his broken body, and you begin to go, Holy Spirit, speak to me. I want more of you. Fill me. Reorient my life. Reorient my heart to glorify them, to glorify the Son. And so I'm gonna pray for us, and then our hosts and our ushers are gonna lead us. And yes, this may take us a little bit more time, but I believe this time is worth it worth it for the Holy Spirit to speak and move in our lives and in our church. Father, do what only you can do in these moments. God, take our humble and meek offering, take our couple fishes and our couple loaves and miraculously feed thousands. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to save us, to redeem us. Jesus, thank you for sending and giving us the helper, the Holy Spirit, to convict us and guide us and lead us so that our lives might actually glorify you in our going and in our gathering. Do what you may with these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.